ever visited a place that felt heavy? Maybe the hair on your arms stood up, or you felt a thrill in the pit of your stomach. Maybe you felt a deep reverence as the gravity of the place settled on you before you even knew why. Energy, spirits, history, terror, other dimensions. Some places seem to draw dark events, and some people are drawn to them. These are the places that love to scare you. Welcome to Macabre Traveler. Kristen, back for our bonus episode for our patrons. Hello, patrons. Uh, today, we're going to be interviewing Jordan Rosenfeld. Uh, Jordan is the author of nine books, and she is a freelance writer and editor. Her work has appeared in The Atlantic, Good, The Daily Beast, Mental Floss, New York Magazine, The New York Times, so many places that it is literally, it's intimidating to read them all. <laughs> yeah. um, it's intimidating a little bit to talk to her. Um, I was telling Jen before that, well, she as well, um, but Jordan is one of my writer idols. Uh, she has been for some time. I'm sorry about my baby crying in the background. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak with her on um, this podcast, to collaborate with her in any way is probably... Um, like what an extra in a movie feels like when they meet Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, Jordan also offers writing and editing classes um, and coaching. We will list her website in the show notes. It's jordanrosenfeld.net for those of you who can't wait to get to the show notes. Uh, and today she's going to be speaking with us about a piece she wrote for Mental Floss back in 2017. Uh, Jen, do you want to speak a little bit about, about that? Yeah, so she wrote this piece for Mental Floss in 2017. It's about, it's called Fright Fest, the science behind why we love to be scared. Um, and we'll link to the article on the episode page as well. So as soon as we saw that, she shares it every year, apparently. It's it's her favorite article to share for the spooky season. So as soon as we saw it on her page, we thought she'd be perfect for the podcast because we like to be scared. So I don't know if we like to be scared this much, but... No, this is a little intense, so... <laughs> we'll get into it. Yeah, so before we do the interview, Kristen's going to read an excerpt from her from Jordan's article to kind of give you the basics of why that's just a little bit too spooky for us. So Kristen, it's all you. <laughs> a young woman pants and shivers in a tiny chamber, her face distorted by a plastic mouth guard that stretches her cheeks garishly apart. A person appears to be strangled by a boa constrictor. A young man lies bloody in a room of knives where a masked man eats raw intestines and comes at him with a drill. Is this the beginning to the to a scary movie? Is this your worst nightmare? No, this is a haunted house where you have to go through background checks. You have to sign a 40-page waiver. You have to take drug tests. You have to get a doctor's release. This guy is called McKamey Manor, and it, it essentially is not a typical haunted house. It's basically... Uh, it takes you into your most horrifying nightmares. It's a, a 
psychological experience. Um, the owner. Yeah. So he's a retired, um, it takes, so now it's in Summertown, Tennessee. It's not far from Nashville. It's run by a retired Navy man, Russ McCainy. Uh, and his goal is to terrorize people. It's, it's built to live your own horror movie. Um, he uses, he admittedly uses mind control techniques similar to MK Ultra, the CIA project, which I think is fascinating, and hypnosis techniques. So it's not just like, you know, this is really scary, gross stuff. We're going to scare you. This is, we are going to fuck with your mind. Like we are going to take what scares you and we are going to make you think that it's real. I mean, this place is just wild. Yeah, I was also reading that there are sometimes that they pull out people's fingernails that it's only yeah, happened no. like Ooh. once oh, just once you know whatever <laughs> but that's an option mm -hmm. having a fingernail pulled out with a pair of pliers it's very rare it's only done at the request of the participants these people are fucked <laughs> <laughs> this takes this takes the whole you know um hedonic reversal benign masochism that we discussed in the first episode to an entirely different level but i'm sure people say like you know what's the the spectrum of well i enjoy being tattooed to i enjoy having my fingernails pulled out but i'm i don't know i'm not there <laughs> <laughs> yeah no thanks <laughs> <laughs> no thank you please <laughs> And if you make it through, you win $1,000. But don't catch that check yet, because nobody's completed it in like 20 years. You know, I got to say $1,000, not enough for me. <laughs> no way. I mean, if it was like $10,000, that'd be cool. <laughs> but yeah, no. But that's not even that much money, you know? like No, it's really not. It's not. 10 grand? That's, that's, that's not even, that's a few months rent in the New York area, maybe for like, what's the, you have to think, you know, for an experience like that, where you might get buried under 12 feet of dirt, um, you're going to be horrified in these ways. Um, you're, you could be like, it, it seems like people can be waterboarded. Like there's a lot of water involved. This guy, yeah. um, in the article ran into a tree and knocked himself unconscious. That would have to be <laughs> a life-changing amount of money. Um, and you know, as someone with over a hundred thousand dollars of student loans, I, I don't know. Yeah, no way. Okay. So let's, uh, let's formally welcome. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jordan. Um, yeah, thanks. We're really excited to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Your article was amazing. Um, as soon as we read it, I, I think I read it first and I shared it with Jen and I said, oh, we have to get her on the podcast immediately. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um, so we're, we would love to ask you some questions. Uh, so what inspired you to, to, to write this piece? Well, I'm going to admit that my editor assigned this piece to me at Mental Floss, but I had been writing, she knew I had been writing a lot of other pieces about like emotions. I'd written about awe and I'd written about grief and I'd written about imposter syndrome. And so she really knew this was right up my alley. And she just sort of threw out the general details. Like, I'd like you to write something, you know, Halloween-y about fear, um, you know, look up some good ideas. And so then the rest of it, I kind of pulled up myself, but it was totally up my alley. And I have to say, I do have 
I'd, I'm not sure yet how much I like to be scared, but I love, I'm fascinated by the psychology of fear and by why people do the things that they do, you know, to generate fear. So definitely, um, it's definitely in my wheelhouse, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like it. And when you were doing the research uh, for this piece, what was the most interesting part of it? I was fascinated by a study that found that that the more gore and violence in um, a movie or in something that we consume like media, the more likely people are to pay attention to that. And it's not that people um, take pleasure necessarily in those things. I think it has more to do with a kind of primal recognition that something serious is happening that could threaten our person, our bodily person. And so we need to pay attention. So it's like this deep old, you know, primal instinct that if there's death and violence and gore, while it's on one hand, it's horrifying. On the other hand, we need to like focus. So I thought that was really interesting because I would have thought it was the other way around that that would turn people off. Like activates the lizard brain. It does. Like we're really, um, human beings are really kind of screwed up. (laughs) <laughs> like at the root. That'll be the so, title of this episode. Human beings are really screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> so Jordan, Kristen and I have kind of uh, agreed that we would probably never ever do McKamey Manor, but I'm really curious if you would. So here's the thing. I have a very competitive spirit, mostly with myself. So there's a part of me that says I would do it, but that is like a lying part of myself because the really what I would like to do is I would like to visit and sit down and chat um, with the guy that runs the place because it um, he fascinates me more than the actual haunt. But I, I think that I'm too much of a wimp ultimately. I think that um, like I could be talked into trying and I'd be like the people that I reported on who didn't make it through the first stunt. You know, that would be me. <laughs> They'd be like, they turned the lights off and she ran. <laughs> I feel like I would want to watch like one person do it and then maybe I would do half of a thing. But I was reading your article and the part where it was talking about somebody being buried under 12 feet of dirt, just like totally cringe. I can't. It freaks me out. No way. Well, you know, I don't know if it's this is in the article, but what he does is he interviews people and he gets permission to interview their family members and people. They give them some contacts and he finds out what specifically scares them. And then it constructs these these haunts around their fears. So it's not just generic fears, it's your fears. And to me, and that's why I think it's so successful. That's why no one has completed it. Because he's really, and that's why I'm saying this guy is really screwed up. I'm feeling anxiety just talking about it. I know, (laughs) I did, I I did. And I, he won't, um, I didn't get to watch the entire thing, like uh, an entire haunt, but I did get to watch examples of it. And it's, um, yeah, it's pretty awful. Is it like watching a real horror movie? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it has that feel. It feels like a low budget horror movie. That's what it feels like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, oh, it creeps me out. So can you talk a little bit about what happens in the brain or in the psyche that would make people want to go do something like this that makes people love to be scared? Yeah. You know, fear, we all have this little almond-shaped structure in our brains called the amygdala. I'm sure you've heard of it. And this is like, again, going back to those, the lizard brain, as you mentioned, this is like our early warning system to tell us like, get out of the way. Here comes a dinosaur. Or here comes a bus, right? So um, the thing is that when it's triggered, what happens? We get that sympathetic nervous system response, fight or flight syndrome, our hearts race, our palms sweat, all that stuff we know about. And in fact, what's interesting about Um, And I'm getting to the point, I swear. What's interesting about this is that your brain registers 
um, danger before your kind of conscious mind does. So some, oftentimes people will jump out of the way before they even realized what was happening. So it's almost instinctual. Um, so you get all these like adrenaline, uh, cortisol, all these hormones that are very intense and those cause those, those fight or flight symptoms. But once the threat has passed, then you get the good, the feel good hormones, you get the endorphins. So what happens is you actually get, you feel a little high, a little like even possibly like, I'm so lucky to be alive, you know, you just feel great. And so I think um, what, what they seem to think is that there's, whether or not it's addictive, people are chasing that high in the same way that people do with exercise, you know, like high intensity exercise. Like you asked me why anyone does a marathon, because that is not something, uh, you know, that I can imagine as being fun. That's an awful lot of running to like not really go anywhere. <laughs> and I'm we're going to offend all the marathoners out there. I apologize. But, you know, I think it's the same thing. It triggers all of this um, incredible. Um, yeah, the endorphin rush. I'm, well, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I apologize in advance to everyone who knows me, who listens. Um, and the, the first thing that comes to my mind is like people who have sex after a funeral. And it's like, yeah, yeah we're wait, so lucky wait, to be hold, alive. Hold the phone. People <laughs> like, actually do this. Is this, no, no, oh, no way. Maybe not, not like on the ground. I mean, not like in front of the casket, but like on top of the casket. Well, maybe some people do. <laughs> Sorry, That's a whole yeah. other level. Well, actually you make a good point too, though. I think it's um, people who have like sex and love addiction. There's a similar yeah. chasing of a intensity and mm-hmm. pe- people who put themselves in dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, I was actually um, engaged to such a guy and it was not fun. Um, <laughs> I think we're basically chasing the high. Yeah. So why is this fear important to survival? So obviously, you know, we need to get out of the way of the dinosaur and the bus. So if we didn't have that fear, we would not, we would stand there. There's a case of a woman whose amygdala didn't function properly. So she could not feel fear. And they tested her in all these scenarios. And she was like, yeah, it's all cool. Snakes, you know, falling off cliffs, whatever. And, um, but she had all the other, like she could have empathy. And so it didn't seem to impair her other, um, you know, emotions, yet probably if you left her in a dangerous situation, she could really not get, not get out of the way in time. Um, so it's, it's an adaptive, you know, we need it so that we will keep going as a species and not, um, you know, it's most of our, most of my research about any kind of emotion or any kind of ex- human experience, it like comes down to like, because it helps us survive, you know, as a species. And I think it's interesting what you said about the woman with the amygdala problem, that she was actually more drawn to things that were more likely to kill her, like the most poisonous snakes or the most poisonous spiders, which I I just find completely fascinating. Like what, if you're not afraid, what about that creature is drawing you to it? I mean, other than like poisonous spiders are kind of the prettiest spiders. (laughs) I think if you could erase fear from our consciousness, there's fascination there with a lot of things like a lot of, you know, but maybe there was some, just enough amygdala left that a part of her brain was like, this is dangerous. You can't feel it, but it is. Go, go explore. I don't know. Yeah. So I know you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Jordan, how do you personally feel about being scared? Are you into it? Are you not? So I'm like at the level of give me a good roller coaster, um, a good macabre movie, um, you know, I'm, I'll watch a scary series, but I am not into like jump scares, gore, violence, slasher flicks. Um, I, you know, I don't think I could survive McKamey Manor. I'm also not good at like, um, I don't like true mortal terror. Like if I really fear for my 
my life. I'm not, I'm not into that. So, but I am, I do have a kind of a dark sensibility, like everything I read, watch and consume from the perspective of like literature and movies and film, it's dark. Like everyone, someone put out a thread on Facebook saying, I really need a good, funny book. And I was like, uh, uh, I don't read those. <laughs> <laughs> like I should probably start reading those. Maybe that's what's you know wrong with me, but um, what is so. your favorite scary or macabre book or dark book? Um, you know, oh gosh, I read this book. So, you know, Guillermo del Toro who mm -hmm. made like, um, the, Pan's well, Labyrinth, Pan's and... Labyrinth, but the movie of his that scares the crap out of me is called El Orfanato, the orphanage. Ooh. Um, oh my God, that is the scariest movie. And there's like no gore or anything at all. And actually I don't even think, I won't say any more than that books. So he also does a he did a series of books which they of course then made into a like a terrible netflix series or something um i think it's called the strain i have to look it up now i'm sorry i didn't prepare that in advance yeah, but he cool. and he might have co-authored it with someone but he um it was kind of like it was sort of like a vampire series but the vampires mm -hmm. were way freakier than typical vampires and um and it was so bleak too but i oh. yeah i actually stopped reading it but you know what i i grew up on stephen king i read all of stephen king like, yeah i ate it up and Anne Rice. So mm -hmm. I still eat it up. Yeah. <laughs> Every fall. Are, yeah. Who are you reading? That's scary. Oh, well, right now I don't read anything. I have a nine -month <laughs> Before you had a child. <laughs> um, well, I mean, what scared me oof, most of all, uh, the first, the first scary book I ever read was Stephen King's Thinner. And I was 11 uh, on vacation with my parents and my dad had it. And I remember, you know, I've always been an insomniac since I was in the womb. Uh, I've never slept. So one night I couldn't sleep and I saw that my dad had this book like in our hotel room or whatever. And I read it and I read it all in one night. And then the next day I was like, why would you read this? Um, but I've been reading Stephen King ever since. So it's been, you know, 25 years. Um, I just went to his house this summer actually. And Oh, I'm so jealous. Oh my God. Awesome. He doesn't, the gate was open. You can just walk up to Stephen King's house. You put it in Google. It says Stephen King's house. You walk up to the house. The gate's open. His car was in the driveway. The car door oh, was open. Like he was going to go to the shop, right? Um, I feel I don't know. I feel like he's inviting um, something to happen so he can write about it for his next book. Do you know that, like, didn't he get hit by some some fan of his, like, ran him over in the truck? And then he was, like, in the hospital for a long time. And, yeah, like, and he's geez. he's old. Like, I mean, he's a cranky old white guy. Oh, my God, um, he is. That's not my, like, yeah. Anyway. Um, Poor Stephen King. <laughs> at Cemetery. So when I was maybe oh, yes. 16, yeah, I read Pet Cemetery. And I was, you know, I was at home in my parents' house, grew up, I told Jen last week, I grew up in the sticks. Um, like I would park my car or get out of my parents' car and run to my front door so fast because it was pitch black. And I thought that something was going to grab me. So I read oh, yeah. Pet Cemetery. I started it like eight o'clock at night and I had to finish it that night because I thought if I put the book down, like I, like I was frozen reading the book and every fall since I've read it. Um, That's great. I yeah. need to reread him. Those He's, are some. Yeah talk about an endorphin rush man Those yeah yeah and he's not I mean like you said though it's not even a lot of gore it's just mm -hmm. this kind of foreboding yeah it's he's yeah. good at the suspense mm -hmm. he's a master mm -hmm. yeah I on the other hand have been stuck reading the last book of the Outlander series for like five years oh yeah I never finished it <laughs> it's taking me so long which is scary on its own I know it's <laughs> never also got, I don't know I feel like it lost its oomph yeah, it kind of did. And well, and 
there are a few characters in the book that I just can't stand and they're yeah. like half narrating it now and I'm just like please stop <laughs> I know there's just there's so many times where you're like they went to the well and it takes four pages <laughs> I know to go to the well. yeah. I'm I'm still stuck on him constantly describing the shape and size of her nipples personally but <laughs> can we say that on this podcast <laughs> he's like they're like summer cherries in case you, in case, in case you didn't know, Claire's nipples are like summer cherries, and I've never had a summer cherry. But well, if I do, I will think of Claire's nipples. <laughs> well, at least it's sticking with you. There you go. <laughs> okay. So anyway, <laughs> so you read a scary book, you watch a scary movie. In that instance, you're scared, but you're getting through it. Like same with going to a haunted house or some other type of scary thing happening so what's the benefit to us when we get scared but we get through it safely yeah so so the idea is that you get you gain some mastery over the thing that scares you i mean it's adaptive um just like we learned you know new skills in all kinds of ways fear can be a skill and it can be the specific thing that you're afraid of so once you have that mastery then the next time you encounter that that fear or that dinosaur or that you might respond with a level head instead of like, ah, it's a dinosaur. And then um, also you, you don't react as intensely. So you can have more um, ability to think carefully about what you're doing. You know, okay, I need to walk away. I need to um, get fire whatever it is. So it's, yeah. And in fact, it's the concept behind exposure therapy. Um, so if you, that obviously, you know, if you're afraid of serial killers, they're not going to expose you to them. But, you know, if you're afraid, like people, a very common fear people have is driving across bridges. Very, very common. Right. And so that's, um, they'll do exposure therapy. Um, I know my husband, who's a psychologist, has done some exposure therapy. Not like he's, that's not his thing, but he, he, he did it for a patient in a particular situation because it felt right to that scenario. And so, um, and it does work. It's just like, um, it's like, uh, so what's the word I'm thinking of? Like when I get my allergy shots and they give me a little bit of what I'm allergic to slowly over time, right? You get it, it's, you get inoculated against it, is, you know, mentally and emotionally. I don't know what the statistics are and how good exposure therapy is, but. If McKamey were to make a haunting for you, what would your biggest fear be? Drowning. Like straight up drowning. Anything, you know, even in shows where I know the actors didn't die and drown or, or are going to get out alive. Like I barely can watch those scenes. I can't, I get that. Like <gasps> I start breathing for them, you know? Also, I have a little bit of a height fear. Oh, I know. So drowning heights and um, claustrophobia. So I could not do anything stuck in a coffin underground like that. Oh God, it. I can't even forget it. it. Never. It, it makes me think of that scene in um, Kill Bill volume two. Have you seen that movie with um, mm -hmm. Uma Thurman? She, she gets, that's they do that they bury her in a box in a coffin yeah and the, have you seen the movie um it's buried I, if you're claustrophobic like i am i would absolutely not recommend watching it but ryan reynolds is in it and the camera is on him most of the time which is the only reason i watched it the whole movie is him buried alive like trying to escape and it's it it stuck with me i had nightmares about it i mean my first mistake was watching it home alone at night in a house that like somebody had tried to break into before so <laughs> I kind of kind of screwed myself over there, but no, I mean, it's a great movie, but creepy as fuck. Thank you for warning me not to watch it, actually. Yeah. So yeah. should just someone at, recommend it? The title did it for like me. the poster for the movie and you just look at the poster and oh, it gives me chills. Be done with I it. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> mm -mm. like I 
there's so many ways I'd rather, I think I'd rather die by fire than by being smothered in a box. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. McKamey says that he uses water a lot because it yeah. does have that loss of control. Yeah. And, and I think it's like a little bit like waterboarding, you know, they mm -hmm. run it down as people's faces and make them feel like they can't breathe. That's horrifying. Jen, what would your McKamey manner be? A hundred percent being buried alive. A hundred percent. I have nightmares about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I read that piece, uh, Jordan, I was telling Kristen this, when I read that part in your article about the 12 being buried under 12 feet of dirt, I, I had to stop. I had to walk away. I mm -hmm. couldn't, I had to take a break because I just couldn't focus or anything. Also, I'm super claustrophobic. So it's uh, a combination, I guess, of horrifying, horrifying things that I will never, ever do. So yeah, there was, I went I'm to sorry. a haunted house and they had a buried alive experience where basically everybody goes into this room and you sit down on the floor and then they drop like, you know, the, the plastic balls from play places or like the ball pits. So they drop just so many of them down on the entire group and they fill up the room half like, so it's only like an inch or two above your head, but you get the, like, no, the feeling that you've been buried alive and you can easily just stand up and be out of it. And I had a panic attack, like the person behind me had to put their arms around me and they were like, it's okay. Just oh. breathe, just take a breath. And it was, Oh God, never again. Have you ever been to San Francisco to the Exploratorium? And so it's this cool um, museum, science and technology museum, and they have really cool exhibits. And one used to be this, um, this it's a dome and inside it, it's all pitch black and you crawl your way through you have to feel your way through. And I, as a child, I loved this thing. I went back as an adult when my son was like two. And if I almost had a, a panic attack inside there, I mean, and it, and it isn't even that hard, but I just, as an adult, my certain things just don't translate from childhood to adulthood. And that was one of them, you know, yeah. those play places, um, like in the late eighties, early nineties, there was one called discovery zone. And it had like those, those, um, like pipes that you would crawl through to like various ball pits or yeah. slides. And now, I mean, uh, we just finished watching How I Met Your Mother. And one of the things was that Barney, Neil Patrick Harris climbed through the air vents in the hotel. The thought, whenever I see a show doing that, the thought of being in the air ducts of a building, I just, and I'm not even particularly claustrophobic, but just being mm -hmm. stuck someplace without being able to like, yeah. Or yeah. elevators, you know, those shows when someone gets stuck in an elevator, <clears throat> that freaks me out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was working, not like last bit about this, I was working in Manhattan um, years ago. And a few weeks before I started this job, it was on the 41st floor or something. Oh. A woman had been cut in half by a falling elevator. She was getting into the elevator. And as she was like entering it, it fell and she got chopped in half. And oh my God. I had never oh. worked. I mean, I was just starting in Manhattan and I was like, I'm Devil Wears Prada. And, <laughs> but then every time I would get into the elevator, I would like jump in and then jump out, which took away my very, um, you know, the sexy vibe that I was trying to create. Right. Uh, my yeah. grandparents told us when we were little, because they lived on the 22nd floor, they said, when you push the elevator button, stand back and make sure you check when the door opens, because the <laughs> elevator might not be there. And we're just like, I still do it to this day. And then I see people like leaning on the door of the L here in Chicago. And I'm like, that door could open. You could fall out of the L. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what leads some people to seek out fear experiences while other 
others avoid them. Is that something that's different in our brain chemistry and our biology? So they don't really know if it's in our brain chemistry or it could be genetic or it could be experiential, but there is, there is a psychologist named Frank Farley who, who um, he believes that we kind of exist on a thrill seeking spectrum and that people who are more prone to being choosing fear kinds of uh, situations like, you know, jumping out of planes and, you know, diving off cliffs and things like that, which people do. Um, he calls these type T, meaning T for thrill. So they're like on the high end of the, the spectrum. And then um, then there's the rest of us who are like, we'll hold the rails when we walk across a small hand bridge, you know. Um, and it's funny though, because um, they don't know why they, you know, and I think it's one of those things like nature nurture, you know, probably a little bit genetic, probably a little bit what you've been exposed to again. And if you are someone who's, who's seeking that high of fear, maybe because you came out of traumatic circumstances and fear was all you knew, or maybe you're trying to gain mastery over it. Like there's so many reasons why they don't really understand. Um, but he does, he does find that the type T people also, he, he says they are, also highly creative, innovative risk takers who also tend to do big things in general, like with business and art. And so I thought that was interesting that there's a connection between risk taking and, and kind of high, high creativity or high innovation. Now, I like to think of myself as creative, but I don't think I'm a very highly risk taking. So I don't know how well that translates. Okay. So if someone goes to a haunted house or experiences some other sort of manufactured fear environment, is there any difference to the type of fear that they are experiencing? Yeah. I mean, I think this we're kind of harking back to what we've already been talking about this question of like mastery. Right. So I think people who seek out these environments are possibly trying to gain that mastery over what they fear. Mm -hmm. Um, particularly because they know they're going into a controlled environment and there's probably no real harm that's going to come to them. So there's this freedom to feel the scare followed by that kind of like aha moment, like, oh, oh, it didn't kill me and, and I'm okay. And then, you know, the endorphin rush. So I think, um, I think that that is, I, I'm trying to think if it answers your question though. I think that's different um, than like jumping off of a jumping out of an airplane where there really is a potential risk for harm, you know, mm -hmm. like that chute could not open or people who really see, have self-destructive behaviors um, because they get a high or a rush out of it. I do think this is more like, you know, I like the way it feels. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm getting strong, mentally stronger or emotionally tougher. And yet I still get that rush, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned like, the type of fear being different from like, you know, someone hurtling off a building, right? So in that instance, it's more of a blood curdling type fear, which you mentioned in your article as having a really interesting history. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could talk a little bit about blood curdling and the origin of that phrase more or less? Yeah. Well, what's funny, so that term may originate from some truth in our biology, um, so researchers, I love that the researchers are like, I know, let's study blood and see if it really curdles. Like, I want to be researchers like that. You know, that like when you, some of these studies just make me laugh. So researchers took blood samples from participants who had watched um, two movies. One was educational and not scary. And the other was a horror movie. And then they, um, they took their blood before and after. And what they found is that the people who watched the horror movie had this um, there's a factor that uh, basically makes your blood clot, right? That is was higher 
in the people who had watched the horror film. So their blood had started to quote unquote curdle versus um, the others. Now, they didn't quite get as far as figuring out why. I mean, as usual, there's probably an adaptive reason. So they like it makes it, you know, easier for our heart to pump blood or although that wouldn't make sense, but, you know, makes us run more quickly or makes the oxygen flow to our brains. You know, I'm sure there's a reason like that. But what they did know is there was a literal change in the blood, which I thought was pretty fascinating. And um, that's so interesting. I think that's the most interesting thing I've ever heard about horror and Mm -hmm. biology. It just makes me think of like every time, like, so I like to be scared. And now I feel like, like, I'm just imagining little cheese curds floating around (laughs) in my bloodstream. (laughs) Yeah. I also feel like a super badass because there's all these like evolutionary things that make us superior. (laughs) So your thoughts about this are much more intelligent than me being like walking poutine right now. (laughs) I mean, I think what's fascinating, whether you're talking about fear or like when I I wrote about awe, the the sort of how we understand awe, which they believe also has a, you know, like a pro-social function to to bind us together. Um, You, you know, it's like everything about us is actually, it does have a function and a purpose that is adaptive for our survival, but also not just like our physical survival, but as communities and as people. Mm. And so um, it's really interesting to me, like there's nothing I've studied that doesn't like, it's not like, nope, we have no idea. Like that's a vestigial emotion. We don't know why humans have that, you know. It's it's the appendix of emotions. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, it all has a purpose. And, um, and the, what fascinates me the most is how much the body is working and doing all of this stuff without our conscious knowledge Mm. all the time. Like, especially the fear thing that, um, that idea that it, it triggers you to act almost before you realize you're acting. I was like, that's freaking smart. You know, that's like, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away that my brain is working like that on my behalf. Cause I'm like, I'm in perimenopause and I'm like klutzy right now. And like, I really need all the help I can get. So, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean though? It's all really interesting. So Jordan, normally at the end of interviews, we like to ask one final question. And that question is what is your favorite macabre travel destination? So I have I have yet to visit a lot of them. However, I have some aspirations. Does that count? Yeah, definitely. So I really want to get myself down to New Orleans at some point. I want to do some cemetery walk-in and um, preferably, you know, in the dark and spookiest months possible. Um, And also, even though it's not, I don't know that it is specifically spooky, but you, have you heard of the Winchester Mystery House? Yes. Yeah. So, I so I live there so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's 20 minutes from my house, you guys. I've lived here for 14 years and I've never been. But um, I'm hoping that next year, so they, they do a Halloween um, night walk with like flashlights through the house. And <laughs> I am super want to do that. And my son, who, by the way, like we want to talk about that type T spectrum. He is like a type T on one end and I'm like the little T. So my kid will be like running ahead and I'll be back there like, what's around the corner? Um, <laughs> he's calling out Sarah Winchester. He's like, are you here? <laughs> I know. He's all ghost. Bring it on. I'm also. Yeah. So I would really like to do that. But, you know, like that's on my list. Otherwise, I'm just a fan of the old fashioned haunted house, not McKamey Manor style, but like, you know, like spaghetti in the bowl, like as brains and peeled grapes for eyeballs and like, woo, somebody jumps out in a costume. Like, I love me a good haunted house, but obviously during COVID, it's not so likely to get to happen, but I'm yeah. looking forward to that day when I can do that again. And yeah. um, that's really, that's really yeah. Nice. 
call us if that's if that's a possibility next year because I, I that's will. on my list. For oh sure. yeah, I will travel for that. I just want to. So Chicago is doing. You, you mentioned haunted houses. Chicago is doing drive-through haunted houses, which just seems like a terrible idea because if I'm scared, I'm gonna hit the gas and get out of there, and I'll probably accidentally run someone over. It just seems like an awful idea. Yeah, <laughs> like rear end someone. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like things that don't work out. Maybe mm -hmm. it's like there's this like um, Christmas festival of lights thing they do that you can drive through. Maybe it's more like that. Like it's off in the distance. Maybe. But, I don't know. I went to yeah. a haunted house when I was in college and it, so it was in my hometown. Right. So a lot of my friends were the actors and I knew this, but there was <laughs> there was a scary clown. Normally, I'm not afraid of of clowns, but there was this scary clown that just got in my face and would not leave me alone. And it just, I don't know if I was scared or if it just pissed me off and I punched him. Oh and my God. He fell back and took off his mask and it was my friend, Ben. Oh. And I was just like, oh my God, Ben, I'm so sorry, but you need to stay out of my face. I mean, come <laughs> on now. If you're going to be the people behind the scenes, you have to expect you might yeah. be, you might be dealing with some, some reactions. Actually, that's an interesting point because you think you know how you might react under a fear scenario, but you might actually surprise yourself and react badly. And I think, um, yeah, I think sometimes people only learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah, like when they run someone over at a drive-through. The title yeah, of my autobiography, so. Things I Had to Learn the Hard Way. <laughs> <laughs> right, my entire but, life. <laughs> we were talking about that last week, um, that we often think so right so well or heroically of ourselves um that we would be you know the well we said the king or the wizard or um but in these fearful situations like no i would be so strong and like no i would like pee my pants and run away <laughs> yeah i it's interesting even in situations that i would say are not even fearful but i've been in a number of situations so like uh, when i was pregnant i was at the maternity store shopping for clothes and a mm. pregnant woman there in line started to collapse like she was she was passing out and oh, no. my husband and i were standing there and we just like she basically just leaned into my husband so he like helped her to the floor and then the entire store froze not yeah. a single person even her partner and i was like call 911 and my husband's like i have a bar in my purse like we just jumped into action and everyone and i'm not saying like we're so great i'm just saying in that moment somehow we were able to like shake yeah. it off but i was, like watched people just go freeze they just yeah. didn't know what to do and i think like that wasn't even i mean maybe fear was involved but so imagine if you're afraid and if mm -hmm. you have a history of trauma or bad experiences you Absolutely. know i think it's really normal to just like not know what to do yeah yeah i wanted to ask jordan about candy corn oh god let's talk about candy corn <laughs> okay bring it on but here let me ask you is this a hostile question or is this a friendly question it's a hostile question <laughs> okay i thought so it always is <laughs> How much I'm, candy corn candy. do you usually eat? How many bags do you buy? How, no. Um, do you, How do I you mean, eat it with not dying? <laughs> well. Do you like the little pumpkins? Do you like the regular little corn shapes? Um, do you like chocolate I'm, candy corn? I am pretty liberal in my love of candy corn. So I will eat the turkey dinner flavored ones. Oh. I will eat the... <laughs> Oh, that's disgusting. I don't actually, I've never tried it. There is an oh actual turkey dinner Is there really? version. 
Oh yeah. Like they um, taste like no. turkey. What is wrong with people? I don't know. I haven't tried it yet, but I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll report back when I let, when I do get it. We love I, you and we are supportive of you. And at the same but time, but you draw the line. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I make a joke because er, almost every year I make a post that's like, let's see who hates the candy corn. Cause the first time I posted one year, like, yay, it's candy corn season. And then I was like, it might just feed filled up with haters. <laughs> so I was like, wow, people have really strong feelings about this candy. I had no idea. Um, so then every year now I have to like poke the bear and um, I have to, first of all, I was a child whose father was very like, he was like a health food nut and wouldn't let me have it, like hardly any sugar. So naturally I stole change out of his change jar and bought it on the sly and yeah. like gave myself 15 cavities by the time I was like 12. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so candy um, corn. <laughs> that worked out well for him. Yeah. And uh, I, but I would eat anything because I was so desperate to have it. So it yeah. probably stems from my love of like, just give me sugar. And I actually, but I like the waxy. See, everyone says that's the yeah. gross part. I like the waxy part. Do you know what the gross part is about candy corn is every part. It's not the waxiness. But you don't like congealed high fructose corn syrup? Come oh my on. God, it's my favorite. <laughs> I, but to answer your question, I do like the pumpkins, but I have to eat them in small bites because they're too much for me. So I buy one bag of candy corn. And oh. my son and my husband finish it before I ever get anywhere near that. So I just like to have a few bites. It's like a yeah. seasonal thing. It's like mold spider, spider, mold spider. <laughs> mold spiders? A, that would really be an interesting drink. So so we should leave that. Um, mold spiders, that's the title. Mold cider in, you know, Christmas time. So it, for me, it's like, oh, it's Halloween or it's, you know, October. Let's break, let's break out the candy corn. I don't want to drink. I think that, that would be a beautiful cocktail, though, like a mold spider, like Ooh. you know, some kind of. Beautiful I, would, art. I would drink a cocktail with a spider in it. Yeah. Kristen and I have both eaten tarantulas. I'd yeah. be fine with that too. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I, it's you know what for me the issue there is the texture. It was crispy. It was Mine was at least. It's crispy. It's it tasted like chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Like and mine chicken. tasted like little burnt bits of teriyaki, which was really good. Yeah. It's not something I would like go out on a Friday night and order for like a, you know, tapas. Um, Where did you eat it? Cambodia. Both of you? Were you in Cambodia? Yeah. I I, I definitely think like from a standpoint of um, eating something that a food that is eaten in a particular culture, like I don't find it gross in that sense. Like I would, it's more like, oh, I've never tried that before. So that's new to me. And yeah. I, and if there's hairy legs, that would be weird. But other than that, I'm good. I just put the whole thing in my mouth. I was like, and I, I mean, I was a little bit drunk. Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, I was in really quick, a little aside about like culture though. I was in Costa Rica. Uh, one of the, I don't go to Costa Rica anymore because it tries to kill me every time. Um, I got Zika and I got into an ATV accident. Oh my gosh. Um, oh I know. my God. But the one time, one time when I got Zika, I was in Costa Rica and um, Zika in Costa Rica. Uh, and everyone, I was on in like this little yoga group and we said to the surf guy, uh, you know, oh, well, we heard that like people eat termites. Like we take us to like a termite nest or whatever. And he goes, only white people eat termites. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just try to see if we can get you to do it. And we were like, what? And he's like, yeah, like it's a tourist thing. We don't eat termites. <laughs> we eat pizza and <laughs> regular things. That's um, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. So my other question, um, your cat's name is pickles. One of your cats. What is your favorite type of pickle? <laughs> that's not where I thought this question was going. 
I <laughs> I like a good old fashioned dill pickle. Okay. Yes. Crunchy and not sweet. Mm. None of that sweet pickle business. I, though yeah. I do like relish in the right mm. context. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but sweet pickles are really horrifying. They're really gross. And like bread yeah. and butter pickles, I just mm. don't get it. I no. know. I like the mini kosher dills, the Vlasic. Vlasic, yeah. maybe? Yeah, Vlasic is snackums. Good. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're my favorite. Good old like deli <laughs> dill pickle. I swear that yeah. this is a genetic thing because my son is a pickle freak and my husband, no, don't even put a pickle near oh. him. Oh, that's, That's interesting. interesting. It's the same. My yeah. dad loves pickles. My mom hates them. Yeah. So when I was husband. when I was pregnant, I it was like a like a classic cliche. I would just go to the store and be like bread and butter, dill, blah blah blah, oh. like all these different ranges. And I would go home and I'd have like a little um like charcuterie board of pickles. <laughs> oh, fun! <laughs> so like a pickle flight. <laughs> and then the worst, flight. like heartburn. Oh yeah. Um, I used then, to eat at Subway every day for lunch, and I would go to go to the restaurant, and I'd be like telling them what to put on my sandwich and they'd put on a couple pickles and I'd be like more pickles and they'd put on more pickles and I'd just be like more pickles. More pickles. <laughs> <laughs> it would take like three times. I was like more pickles, take a handful of pickles and put them on this sandwich. When you said I used to have Subway every day for lunch, I could smell that scent. <laughs> oh yeah. I had, I had a boyfriend. Evocative. My ex-boyfriend worked there and when he came home from work, he smelled a particular way that after a while I could not stand. So. He had the distinct stench of a sandwich artist. Yeah, he did. That's it. <laughs> um, and the other thing, and this is a whole other interview and whatever, but I just wanted to, uh, Jen and I were talking about it uh, in preparing our questions. And um, I just wanted to say that I really love how you are always supporting women and you live such a transparent and authentic life. And it's something that I've long admired. And just thank you for, oh, for being you. Thank you. That's really sweet. I love that we've like known each other online and, but, and I feel like we could just go out for a drink and just like pick up, like we've known each other for years. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. And I am so excited about this, this show. I I can't wait to see what, who else you have on and I'll be a a subscriber for sure. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Jordan, so much for joining us today. It was such an enlightening conversation and we really enjoyed both your article and chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Jordan. It was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Bye. Bye.